Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Monday. We are so glad that you are here for the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool awaits. We have all crazy martinis, though, for you today. We'll just tell you that right up front. Uh, two of them uh, based where Rob is in New York City. Rob Long is in for Jim Garrity today. He's on vacation. Rob, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm so proud. Proud that New York City manages to, you know, you can't go, well, oh, it's a weekend, right? It's a Monday. So like the, the, after the, the weekend is a time to collect crazy stories about New York. So there you go. Let's start with cancel culture hitting New York. We've had a few more things uh, be announced that they're not going to be the way they were anymore. Rhode Island, for example, is just going to refer to itself as Rhode Island, not Rhode Island and Providence plantations, because we obviously can't have that word. But can't in New York word. City... Uh, the Theodore Roosevelt statue, which is outside the Museum of Natural History in New York City, is going to come down. The memorial has apparently long prompted objections as a symbol of colonialism. Uh, the statue depicts Roosevelt on top of a horse. On one side of him, standing on the ground next to the horse, is uh, an American Indian, it looks like. And then also on the other side is uh, an African American. So. Uh, so that's, I guess, considered he's, he's higher than them. I don't know what the exact, uh, he's on a horse. Yeah. yeah. He's on a horse, what the exact yeah. theme of this uh, sculpture is on the, <laughs> on the one hand, you know, natural history, Teddy Roosevelt parks, you know, you can understand, you know, obviously that's part of his legacy. He's also one of the original progressives, Rob. So I'm not sure how many right. tears we should shed here, but, uh, obviously the more people get canceled, the more canceling will be done. So what do you make of all this? Well, you know, Teddy Roosevelt is a hero, right? I mean, we all, I mean, uh, you know, yes, I get he's a progressive, so you can sort of, you know, nitpick, I suppose, with Teddy Roosevelt, but he is a hero. And I think for people in the North, sort of the media center in New York City, we don't have any statues of Confederate generals to tear down. You know, there's no, like in Memphis for years, they had uh, a statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest, who was an unsuccessful incredibly bad military leader in the Civil War, but was the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. So they eventually got rid of that uh, statue too. So we don't, we don't have that here. So when they come for Teddy Roosevelt, there are a lot of people here who are suddenly saying things like, well, maybe we ought to slow this down, all these tearing down of statues, right? Because it's happening in my backyard. What people forget is it's not so much, I think if it was just a statue of Teddy Roosevelt on a horse, nobody would care, but it's, he is flanked by an American Indian. And I don't even know if that's an African-American. I think it just might be an African to symbolize his big game hunting in the bush. So who knows what the actual semiotics of that are. It, 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 it is surprising when you describe that statue to people, they go, oh, wow, that was still there? That was really mostly what they say. It's terrible. I am willing, however, because I am a complete uh, and utter cynic, I am willing to trade the Teddy Roosevelt statue for the Woodrow Wilson School <laughs> at Princeton. The idea that Woodrow Wilson manages to skate by, who was manifestly a terrible president and a terrible person and a racist, he gets to skate by. Meanwhile, we're pulling Teddy Roosevelt down from a museum that he endorsed and that is usually when these things sort of like the ebb. It's when it starts to go after people who are supposed to be untouchable. Yeah, I would love to see the Woodrow Wilson Bridge that's part of the Beltway in the Washington area be, yeah. be renamed for someone else. I mean, the Beltway is usually clogged. So whoever the politician most famous for gridlock is should probably have the bridge named after them. But uh, well, that person's a hero, too, by the way. Gridlock <laughs> is not bad. Yes. No, I cheer for gridlock. That's my party if I could have one. 
yeah, gridlock's not a bug. It's a feature of mm-hmm. our system. But uh, no, this is, uh, this is amazing. And, and we should point out with Woodrow Wilson, you know, Harry Truman gets a lot of credit, and he should, for integrating the armed forces. The reason he did that is because Woodrow Wilson resegregated the armed forces. So uh, right. they had been integrated before that. So Woodrow Wilson is a... Well, Woodrow Wilson would have segregated the entire country. I mean, he was a bad guy, oh, and a yeah. terrible president. And he somehow skates because he's been adopted by the left as sort of a, a, an early uh, left-wing progressive, which he totally wasn't. And so, you know, in, in the, it's not right to say this. I don't think they should take the statue of Teddy Roosevelt down. I kind of understand their point. It's not Teddy Roosevelt so much. It's the, um, it's the symbols that the, the servants, the helpmeets that are bestride him on the horse. Just the, it is a symbology that I think in 2020 we are acutely sensitive to. But if we're going to start doing that, let's start let's, uh, low-hanging fruit. Let's go for Woodrow Wilson first. Let's beat the crap out of him. Uh, I'll, be the, I'll be the first to join the mob. I saw somebody on Twitter, you know, conservatives are always, uh, if nothing, if not aspirational, Rob. And, and so uh, someone was saying, you know, what Woodrow Wilson's greatest monument is, is the administrative state. So we should absolutely tear that down. Yeah, listen, I find that offensive every time I see it, too. Oh, and by the way, de Blasio thinks that uh, the statue should come down. So, you know, it's crazy now. Uh, if, if, you, right. if you didn't know which side of the fence to stand on, now, oh. that, now that de Blasio is in favor of taking it down, uh, you should stiffen your spine even more to keep it, I guess. On to the other issue from New York in our second crazy martini. And this played out over a number of days. Uh, I believe it was on Friday that Attorney General Bill Barr said, hey, uh, the acting U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Jeffrey Berman, is stepping down. Uh, we accept that, and uh, we'll be working on that replacement real soon. Now, Berman had kind of been a fill, and he wasn't uh, confirmed. There's a new nominee in process, and he was supposed to stay there until that confirmation was done. So Barr announces that Berman is stepping down. Berman then issues a statement even later Friday night and saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not going anywhere. And then by Saturday, Barr says, uh, well, because of the poor way that you've handled this, I've recommended that you be terminated and the president has agreed. And then before leaving for Tulsa, the president says, oh, this isn't my fight. This is Bill Barr and Jeffrey <laughs> Berman. So, uh, you know, Keystone uh. cops all over the place here. But uh, you're there. What's the reaction? What do you make of it? I think the only political argument or political conclusion you can draw is that no one is afraid of the attorney general or the president, which didn't used to be the case. These things used to be fraught with just lines of respect and fear so that even if you were the U.S. attorney and you didn't like the attorney general, you didn't like the Department of Justice, you didn't like the president you were serving, you felt like you had to play ball and play by the rules because you didn't want to, because you knew that any, anything you said and did would be considered disloyal and the next guy wouldn't reward you for it because everybody wants a loyal uh, soldier. It's just total chaos in the administration. They have no favors to give out. There's no benefit we know now to being uh, in line with the administration. And so there's no penalty to pay for being kind of a jerk about stuff. And I think that's what Bill Barr said in his letter on Saturday morning back to um, uh, Jeffrey Berman was like, we, I didn't realize, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, Greg, I'm really, I'm not quoting directly, but I think he said something around the lines of, I didn't know you're gonna be such a jerk about this. I thought we were cool, <laughs> but I guess since we're not cool, uh, I'm officially gonna get you dumped. And so, which is what he did officially, uh, and then Trump did the wise thing in a way saying, I'm me, don't look at me. The argument here is really just, uh, it's a classic own goal in a way for the Trump administration. Otherwise, it's going to, you know, they're going to bring Jeffrey, Jeffrey Nadler is going to bring Jeffrey Berman uh, down to D.C. to testify. And the first question is going to be, what did you have on the president? What did you have that was so 
scary to them that they had to fire you uh, on Friday night? You know, the way these things go, probably the answer is not much, but it's enough to kind of keep this, the slow boil going of Trump's covering stuff up. His DOJ is in his pocket. He's using the DOJ to cover up for his crimes. Um, that's probably not true, but it's, I don't know why they did it this way. And Berman ends up being the smart guy because Berman rather adroitly and, and with zero, zero risk to himself, parlayed this whole uh, firing so that his next in line, someone with whom he has great confidence, would be, uh, would be his replacement before, you know, before he can be replaced by, by uh, a, a position that's confirmed by the Senate, or not confirmed by the Senate, but approved by the Senate. So he actually ends up, Jeffrey Berman ends up being a much, much, much smarter, more adroit, more sophisticated bureaucratic infighter than um, his boss, uh, Bill Barr. So it was quite a Saturday. So you had all that back and forth. And then Trump goes to Tulsa for his rally. And then, uh, you know, the, the whole lead up to the Trump rally in Tulsa was, I can't believe they're going to have all these people in this room during right. the coronavirus pandemic. And then for whatever reason, whether it's teenagers on TikTok trolling the system or not, depending on who you talk to, it was not a full house. Uh, some said they had trouble getting through the mm -hmm. security to get in and what whatnot. And so then the narrative, of course, became Trump can't build the room. And so, you know, that's, of course, something that's going to annoy Trump because uh, he definitely cares about that sort of thing. But uh, the media's uh, 180 on that's been pretty fun, too. Yeah, it's been fun to talk about how what, what a disaster. Uh, all those people are going to die uh, Trump is leading them. You know, he's Jim Jones. You know, they should be passing out Kool-Aid and then nobody shows up. And then, but, but what's interesting is that uh, uh, people would say, to be sure, many of these people didn't show up, didn't show up because of legitimate fears about the coronavirus. So Trump voters and supporters are stupid because they'll go to a, a rally and then they're suddenly not stupid because they won't because they're afraid of corona. Look, like everything about this president's administration, it's probably all a little bit true. It probably is a little bit of an incompetent ticketing system. It's probably a little bit of these TikTok kids. It's probably a, a little bit of the fact that people don't want to get the coronavirus. They certainly don't want to get the coronavirus from Donald Trump, and even if they support him. And then the last part is I think the act is getting old. The problem with being a clown is eventually people want to change the channel. They want to see a do, new and different clown. Part of Trump's appeal is that he's funny and engaging and entertaining, and we know the act. But we know the act. I once had a TV programmer tell, tell me that in the third or fourth season of a popular show, the ratings will drop 20, 25%. That's just, a, you just know it's going to happen. And then maybe if you're lucky, it builds back up. Maybe you're five, six, seven, it goes right back up because people rediscover it. But mostly after three, four years, they're like, yeah, I heard the jokes, move on. And that is usually when, uh, if you're running a TV show where you try to make as many changes as you can in behind the scenes, you know, you try to get some new energy in the writer's room. That's not going to happen here. But it is possible that there's a significant portion of those people just didn't want to hear from Trump. And that is, that's what should scare the White House. Not so much the virus and not so much the, uh, the TikTok kids. It's uh, who didn't show up, who was like, because they just don't care. That's a problem. So, Rob, you've been in the entertainment business uh, to end the slump, and I don't know how we actually translate this to Trump. I'm just curious about how <laughs> sitcom writers do this. Uh, do you prefer uh, going with the uh, suddenly adding a new child or yeah. knocking off a character? Uh, what's what's the best way to shake it up and keep the ratings going? Well, I've tried I've tried knocking off a character. That does not work. Mostly, it doesn't work. You can execute it well. 
the only way you can change is if everybody agrees that you need to make a change. And there are enough people in the White House, there are enough people in this one and any White House at this point who argue that no, the polls are wrong, look at history, you'll come back, you don't need to change, stay the course, don't change, in fact, uh, your base will turn out. And you believe that and believe that, but you, once you pick that as a course, you're stuck with it and you believe it all through a very hot, very dry summer. And you went, you know, there's a point in 1992 when George H.W. Bush, who was a, a man I really admired and a person I, I met and considered in many ways a political uh, hero. So I'm a squish, right? But he was in the middle of his campaign and he looks around at the glum faces in the Oval Office and he says, am I the only one who thinks he's going to win this thing? And, uh, there was a silence because the answer to that question was yes. And um, that is probably a little bit of what's happening in the White House right now. Obviously, it's June, right? So things could change. But there is a feeling that the summer, that suddenly things are going to set, that it's going to be hard to turn them around, and that turning them around and more cowbell, put it that way, is not the answer. And if you, you know, at a certain point, all you got is cowbell. It's a worry for a president who is not very nimble and not very changeable and doesn't appreciate a new strategy to be told you need to do something different. Well, to go back to the sitcom uh, analogy, I think a lot of people wish that 2020 was all just a bad dream, kind of like some seasons or mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> some entire good. series. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> I think so. Look, I mean, you know, adopt a, adopt a little kid uh, that that sometimes helps. Um, casting changes in the middle of the season, you know, that sometimes helps. He's got uh, that down cold. Yeah, he does got that back hold. Um, just to be super dark, a personal tragedy is always a way to recast the character, right? He's not unlikable. He's just sad. He's just a sad person because a sad thing happened and we have to, we have to be sympathetic for him. So a personal tragedy would probably be in Trump's political interests. All right, well, let's move on to our crazy martini now, uh, Rob. And uh, we talk about sports a lot and ever since... Uh, the situation in Minnesota happened with George Floyd, the, the killing at the hands of the police. Uh, Colin Kaepernick's name has been back in the headlines. Uh, Jim and I talked about yeah. how one writer over at the uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune said the best thing the Vikings can do to racially heal the city is to sign Colin Kaepernick. Uh, and then, uh, then the whole Drew Brees thing happened and Colin Kaepernick was again uh, lauded right. by everyone on the left. But uh, now uh, Brett Favre, the Hall of Fame quarterback, mostly with the Green Bay Packers, but also the Vikings and the Jets and the Falcons originally, uh, has made a comparison that I don't think a lot of folks on the right are going to appreciate. This is Fox News' uh, version of the story. Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre says Colin Kaepernick will receive quote-unquote hero status because he was willing to sacrifice his NFL career to protest racial inequality and social injustice. Favre compared him to the late Pat Tillman, the former Arizona Cardinals safety who left his football career to join the Army after September 11th. Quote, I can only think of right off the top of my head, Pat Tillman is another guy that did something similar, Favre told TMZ Sports, and we regard him as a hero. So I'd assume that hero status will be stamped with Kaepernick as well, unquote. So, Rob, we've talked before, and Jim has made the case that you could probably make a case that uh, Kaepernick lost at least a couple of years of employment uh, because of this, although he had already been benched in San Francisco before that contract right. ran out. But to compare what Kaepernick's done to Pat Tillman is yeah. losing reality here. And I know we've lost a lot of reality here in the last few weeks, but this is beyond the pale. Well, I think the operative words are uh, off the top of my head. 
<laughs> you yes, know? Like that's kind of like I was the sort of Lloyd larger point about the culture in general is that, you know, maybe we should all take the masks off uh, and and go about our day. At, but we should leave the muzzle on. You know, we all talk too, <laughs> too fast, too soon. We spread our viral ideas too quickly without really thinking about them and to everybody. And I'm sure he regrets it. Look, those two think they're not at all. They're not at all similar. Um, somebody uh, giving up a career to put on a uniform and then dying in, in battle for America's interests and for American freedom. That's the ultimate national hero. Um, taking a knee is, you know, well, look, Kaepernick at this point does seem like he had a point. And it is interesting that people, you know, are defending other athletes for making all the opposite point where they complain that Colin Kaepernick was putting politics into sports. All that is true, is revealed a certain hypocrisy. Um, but God, wouldn't life be so much better? It'd be so much easier if Colin Kaepernick were just a little bit better as a quarterback. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's kind of on the bubble as it is, right? He's like, well... He might have got another, even like, well, he could have played a few more years. He was benched. I mean, it's like if he was just better, then everything would be, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. He'd be a controversial quarterback, but a controversial, successful quarterback. And <laughs> believe me, there's no substitute for that. Um, but it's just, if you're kind of a marginal, you know, and it's, it's essentially, let's, I mean, all due respect to Jim Garrity, who's, uh, for whom football is a, let's be honest, it's a religion. You know, it's a it's a show, right? People pay pay money to go watch it. That's what a show is, and you want to have actors in the show that are popular. It's been weird to watch the transition here because, of course, uh, nobody wanted to deal with the circus, even if they thought, right. uh, like you said, if if the talent wasn't on the margin, maybe the circus would be worth it. But uh, there was going to be a circus, no matter what you thought of the issue. And now to see Roger Goodell out there suddenly saying. Oh, I would love it if he were signed. And I hope he leads us on this issue, uh, acting like that's been his position all along. So I know. Well, you got to give Goodell credit. I mean, there are very few people who can actually do that. And just it doesn't even look like he thinks he knows he's lying. You know what I mean? Like he believes it. It's like that. You could see why this guy is so successful, such a great salesperson, because he just doesn't have there's not a part of him that thinks, Oh boy, I'm, I'm about to tell a big one here. He just goes for it. You know, that's, uh, it's, you kind of want to applaud it. It's so dishonest and so brazen, but I, it does show you how quickly things change. Colin Kaepernick was a forgotten figure until it turns out that he had a point. You could still get murdered as a black man being stopped by a cop in Minneapolis. And that ultimately is what turned it around for him was that not that he, not that we've decided it's okay to take a knee, but we've decided that everybody shrug and say, Oh, come on. Oh, come on. It turns out it's a serious problem. Well, on that note, uh, sorry, no, that's uh, get us back to reality. We needed it with three crazy martinis today for sure. Rob, always good to have you with us. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Happy to be here. Rob Long is a contributing editor at National Review Online. He's the co-founder of Ricochet and co-host of the Glop podcast. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And join us again right here on Tuesday for the Three Martini Lunch.